if you previously already heard this podcast, I'm your host, the Susan Anime O'Hagan, or you could call me Anime. I really don't care. And I'm going to tell you some of the things we have talked about on this podcast. So let's check it out and see all the interesting things we've talked about. I talk about movies, TV shows, books, games, Game Informer, Pinocchio, Warriors of Legend, Unauthorized Book, Nine, Firestarter, A Soft Guide to Taking It Easy, Vampire Kisses Books, Lucia Ball, The Wizard of Oz, Sejo B, The Great Battles in History, some of these are older, Zombies 3, Witches, Diana, Her Life and Legacy, Pirates, Zombies, Titanic, Tuesday, Norway, One on One, Mysterious Places, Movies, Buzz Lightyear, Melissa and Joey, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Promise, Memorial Day, Senior Year, Godzilla, Funny, Mashup, Ripley's Believe It or Not, For the Love of a Child, Anastasia, Asia and More, Mary Vincent, The J-Team, Shirley Jackson, Family Trees, Greek Mythology and Lesson, Electric Chair, The Brady Kids, The Brady Bunch, The Brady Brunch Goes to Hawaii, The Dark Side of the Brady Bunch, Growing Up Brady, The Lottery, Turner and Pooch, Night Squad, Hillsong, Almost Christmas Movie, We Have Always Lived in a Castle Book, Love That Book, The Other Kingdom, The Warren Files, A Witch's Ball, Evil Thing, A Tell of That Deville Woman, Two Hot Take Show Review, Turning Red, Team Titans Raven, Unsolved Mysteries, Charmed, Buzzfeed Unsolved, Kids Nation, Black Widow, Fired Up, The Movie, The Good Place, St. Patrick, Chicago Tribunal Murders, Awkward, Ukraine, Ghost Whispered, The Bride He Bought Online, Archie and Katie Keene, Archie's Weird Mystery, Seven Heaven. Charlie's Sturkenweather, Mummy is a Murder Chill, Abandoned Empress, Hot and Cleveland, Scorpion TV Series, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Different Strokes, Return to Amish and Escaping Polygamy, and we have so much more. I will be talking about movies. TV shows, books, games, what do you think I'm trying to say? And movies, TV shows, books, games, animation. I guess that is all of them. I hope you all enjoyed. And hopefully you'll have a great and wonderful experience. And these will be uploaded Monday through Thursday. So yeah, it was based on a few stories combined. Uh, several different occurrences of stories where something similar took place. A teenage girl in Australia recently died in a similar fashion, but it ended up being more an A- M-A-L-G-A-M-A-T-I-O-N than any single story. Matt said the rest of the plot came from the writer's imagination. He explained that his fear of water bodies played a significant role in the story. Some people are terrified of water, like pools and uh, oceans. Natalie Wood was one of them. 
And I think I've talked about her case before, but I'm not sure. I'll have to double check. Pools and oceans are triggers a bonfide sense of dread for me. See, I'm cautious if I'm like in an ocean or water. Like, I'm not scared of them, but I'm cautious. Like, oh, the lifeguard says don't go that far. I'm not going to go that far. Would I go on a boat? Maybe. But it'd have to be, like, not going out of, like, far where most people aren't. Because let me tell you, there's a reason some people aren't out there. Sharks and other weird life creatures. Even though it'd be kind of cool, but I'm like, if it's too dangerous, I'm not going to bother. Just the whole idea of being trapped in a pool makes me sweat. Yeah, being trapped under like a pool cover isn't like my favorite sentence. It creeps me out. And I don't know, like, it's just weird. I decided to tap into the fear and the concept blossomed from there. E added that he wanted the film to explore real life themes that viewers can relate to. Deals with guilt and bond of sisterhood the overall concept was just the dressing for the deeper layers I wanted to explore as a storyteller Claire is the villainess of the 2017 film 12 feet deep originally titled the deep end alternatively known as 12 feet deep trapped sisters little is officially revealed about her past but it is revealed that Claire was previously imprisoned and was currently on parole and was struggling financially. It was also implied that she had a daughter who died before the events of the movie. Here's a tip. If you want to do another story, maybe do a little more on Claire's background. That would be interesting. Give me more background on Claire. And the sisters, like, another, like, two, you could make two movies out of this if you really wanted to. Like, what happened with the dad and why is Claire the way she is? But I kind of also like the mystery of it. Uh, she began working part-time as the night janitor for Kedditon, I'm just going to call it Public Pool. K Public Pool. Though the beginning of the movie shows Claire being fired after the manager car trying to steal money from the lost and failed, when Claire found sisters Bree and Joanna trapped in the pool after closing, having been trapped under the plexiglass. While retrieving Bree's engagement ring, Crow decides to use the opportunity to get herself out of her money troubles. After taking the money the girls had in their purse, she at first toyed with the girls by asking questions about them before demanding that Bree gives her her PIN number. When Bree hesitates, the evil Claire turned off the pool heating to goad her to give it up in the information. Which she does. Claire then left the pool to retrieve the money, leaving the sisters to struggle to stay warm. But when Claire found that Brie only had $80 in her account, she returned and refused to let the girls out, coldly ignoring the fact that Brie was diabetic and in need of her insulin, and even outright stating that she might just leave them there to die. Then Joanna retailed by stabbing Claire in the ear with a plastic sharp they had pulled from the pool. Claire turned on the chlorine jets and watched with a grin as she and Bree panicked. Eventually, though, Claire turned them off and threatened to use them if the girls did anything else against her. After forcing Bree to give up her engagement ring, Claire looked through her phone and saw that her fiancé, Dave, had left a voicemail saying he would call the police if he didn't hear from her soon. When she returned to the pool area, Bree and Joanna pulled into her belief that she'd taught them a terrible lesson, taught them a valuable lesson, eventually leading her to go to release them. But when Claire found that the pool, the, the code has but when Claire found that the code her boss gave her to open the pool cover wasn't functioning, she instead fled the scene out of fear of going back to prison. But not, but not before looking back with a look of regret. She returned later, however, after Joanna had broken her and the weakened Brie out of the pool. 
now armed with a pistol and intending to kill Brie and Joanna to cover her tracks, though she does admit that she wants that she that what she do earlier was wrong. But after watching Joanna plead with her to spare them, the whole remorseful Clara lowered her weapon and even returned Bree's ring. She then fled the scene once more at Joanna's instance. My thoughts, the sisters should have stayed on the outside of the pool. One of them should have stayed. They didn't need both of them going in so people would know that one of them's in the pool. Like, to me, that would have been the smartest situation. To have a ponytail at the light not be a bad idea. Oh, one of the sister's hair gets trapped in the vent, and I was like, oh, okay, so maybe have a ponytail on you if you're gonna go swimming. Good to know, where there's like vents and stuff. I never thought of that too often. Yeah, I never thought bring a ponytail with you in case your hair gets stuck in the pool. Then there's Claire who needs needs to mental help. She needs mental help. She keeps the girls in the pool even though she could help them. I can't stand her. She even put the chlorine on that turns off the heat. I was happy when one of the girls stabbed her. The fiance, he should have called someone if she wasn't answering her phone after so many calls to her. Finally, the girls got out of the pool and I was like, yay. Then it was boo. So fast, the woman pulled a gun and I was thinking like, really, lady, get help. Movie I thought was good. Yeah, I was just like, lady, Claire, yo, you need help. And you almost despise the character enough that you're like, okay, they stopped her. Good for them. Like, you don't like go, you shouldn't have stopped her. Like, you really don't feel bad for Claire whatsoever other than understanding money trouble. That's literally all that you get out of it. And I have to say though, if you have like one a thriller and like a little twisty movie that it's a very good one. It's a good movie. Is there other movies that I like more that are more thriller? Yeah, but is this one like it has it's good acting, it's good like visuals, and it's interesting to see what people will do when they hit rock bottom. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I think go ahead and try finding it and watching it if you want. It's a decent movie and because it came out when it did, I think it was a Marvel movie that kind of beat them in the box office that like hardly anyone wanted to go see it. So maybe now that like, it's in between and it's Halloween season. Maybe people want to go see it now or watch it somehow. I hope you have a great and wonderful week. Some facts about pandas. The bamboo bear. It was once thought that the giant panda might be related to the raccoon. However, scientists have since proven that it is a member of the bear family. The giant panda is officially classed as a carnivore, meat eater. Though its diet is more likely that of an omnivore, plant eater. The vast variety of a giant panda's diet consists of bamboo due to an effective dissative system. They need to eat large qualities to get the nutrients they need. A giant panda can spend 14 hours a day eating and will typically eat 11 to 18 kg in one day. 99% of this bamboo, but they will also eat fish, eggs, and small animals if the opportunity arises. In the wild, giant pandas are territorial and generally solitary animals. Let's see if we have an ad break for today. Our sponsor, ad break, ad break, ad break, ad break, sponsor, 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 sponsor. And before we go to ad breaks or sponsors, let's get a little bit of a...
still here, don't worry. <laughs> I was a little hot, so I was fanning myself. But let's get back to the story. Okay. Green ghoul. Phoebe continues to pra- Phoebe continues to pr- perceive Phoebe's powers in the garden while Phoebe tries to kick him out of her body. Miles comes over to talk to Phoebe about the possessed Phoebe freezes him. Green Ghoul then heads home to the halfway house to destroy Hank Thunderman. Nora, Frankie, and Billy manage to collect a huge pile of candy and put it in a wagon. The three work together to scare off other kids from getting any candy. Nora asks Frankie to go home, but Frankie wants to first show the mayor who runs the town. She starts dragging the candy wagon, but it breaks down. Other kids dressed as zombies attack Frankie's team for stealing candy away from them. Nora uses her laser power to drop a tree branch on and slow down the kids. It doesn't work. Hank and Ray start arguing on how to finish up the cage. Hank blames Lay for not doing anything despite wanting to prove something to Miles. Barb stops them from fighting. Michelle brings a video surveillance showing evidence that Chad is possessed by the green ghoul. They plan to go to the party and stop the ghoul. Chad, before hurting Taylor and Phoebe, Louis offers to get the address that Taylor left, but unfortunately he locks the parents inside the cage. Hank says that he built the cage so that only non-ghosts can open it from the outside. They are trapped. Louis teleports to the party to warn Phoebe and Taylor. He finds Taylor and Max and informs them that Chad is possessed by the green ghoul. Taylor and Max run to the garden only to find the real Chad lying on the ground. Max is is ready to attack Chad in order to save his sister, but Chad has no clue what's going on. He doesn't even know why he isn't dressed as Ray scratchers as he planned. Taylor figures out that the ghost is no longer inside Chad's body. Taylor wonders why the ghost would leave Scott's body. Dr. Colosso pops out of Max's bag and says that he knows why. Taylor is surprised to see a talking bunny. Really? You're surprised about that? You love a ghost and they're superheroes. You're surprised by a talking rabbit? Are you sure? You love a ghost. But okay, be surprised by a talking rabbit. That's Makes perfect sense. Okay, sure. That's just weird to me. <sighs> okay, uh... Surprise to see a talking bunny. Klaus and Taylor have a heated argument about Taylor cheating on Scott with Max. Max shuts them up so they can focus on finding Phoebe. The green ghoul, Phoebe, reveals herself to call Max... To- Reveals himself to Ma- Max calling Max. Brothers, Max gets the ghost zapped ready to zap. Zapper to ready to zap. Green ghoul. Ghoul Phoebe then talks in Phoebe's voice saying that Max would never hurt his sister. Max proves him wrong by telling him to check his recent bite marks on Phoebe's ankles. Green ghoul then uses Phoebe's telekinesis to throw the ghost zapper away from Max. Max tells Taylor to stand aside so he can fight with the green ghoul, Phoebe. The two start fighting using both their powers. Max's fighting skills is impress the green ghoul so much that he offers Max a chance to join him and work with him. Max declines despite Dr. Colosso insisting that they should hear him out. Green ghoul is disappointed that Max turned down his offer. He knocks him down and walks away, calling Max a pretender. Taylor notices the frozen Miles. Max unfreezes Miles and asks him to teleport him and warn the rest. Unfortunately, Miles' powers can't work because of being frozen. Scott catches Taylor holding Max to wipe out blood from his lips. He confronts Taylor about the photo with Max and for finding him holding Max. Max excuses himself to go fix the problem at the bakery. Taylor tells Scott that she has to go after Max. Although Max means nothing to her, Scott gets confused. (laughs) 
Phoebe arrives at the Hathaway's bakery, making the parents reveal that she is okay. Hank explains the situation, asks her to unlock him out. She lets Hank outside, but lets the rest remain in the cage. She then reveals herself as the Green Ghoul coming for revenge. Hank asks the Green Ghoul to leave his daughter alone. Of course, the Green Ghoul refuses. Having superpowers and ghost powers makes him unstoppable. Hank and the Green Ghouls start fighting. Louis teleports back in back to join Nora, Billy, and Frankie. He finds them still fighting off other kids. He offers to help by transforming into a UFO looking like an object. He raises above the ground and sends them sends beams to scare the kids. Billy convinces them that he's candy-stealing alien, and the kids run away, leaving Norbill and Frankie alone. However, Louie is unable to control his UFO and keeps using, keeps rising up in the sky. Green Ghoul Phoebe is overpowering Hank. He lifts and drops him, breaking Michelle's coffee table. Ray asks Hank to use his superpowers, but Hank refuses to fight his daughter. Just about then, Max enters and asks Hank to fight his son instead. He announces that he is joining sides with the Green Ghoul to provide prove that he is no pretend supervillain. Hank and Barb are disappointed. Ghoul, Phoebe asks Max if he really wants to join him to prove that he will be okay with throwing his dad. Max says it's all good. Max starts making a speech as he walks towards Hank, explaining that he is evil, and before Hank goes, he should know one thing. Max would never turn against him. Max then quickly attacks the unaware ghoul Phoebe. Before the ghost recovers, Max singles Miles to come in. Miles possesses Phoebe. Ray worries that two ghosts possessing the same person could be dangerous, but Miles promises that he can do it. Miles successfully kicks the Gringle out of Phoebe's body. The parents are pleased to have Phoebe back. Taylor unlocks the rest of the parents from the cage. The evil ghost villain materializes into a human form and swears to destroy all of them. Ray uses his ghost powers to stop him from snipping while Miles tries to freeze him. Max tries to freeze him. Max asks Phoebe to do a double freeze, but Phoebe reminds him that if their freeze breath ever touches, they would freeze the entire city. Max says they will be careful. The Thunder Twins use their freezing powers on the Green Ghoul at the same time. He freezes. Ray and Miles tries lifting him into the cage, but he's too heavy for them. Hank Thunderman then carries him with so much ease into the cage and locks him again. Ray tells Miles that he can see why Thunderman is his number one hero. But Miles quickly corrects him, saying that he was always Miles' number one hero. Hank thanks Max. Hank thanks Max and Phoebe for their work and apologizes to Max for thinking he couldn't handle himself. After everything has settled, Max expresses to Phoebe how happy he was to work with Thunderman. Phoebe promises she might consider him if she ever needed a sidekick. Max, oh, Miles, expresses to Phoebe how happy he was to work with Thunderman. Phoebe promises she might consider him if she ever needs a sidekick. Max tries to cheer up Taylor, but Taylor is too worried that she's lost a really good guy. Scott arrives saying that they need to talk. Taylor says that these guys are super friends from Sweden. Phoebe fakes a bad Swedish accent to convince Scott. 
Max stands up and tells Scott that he pull Taylor away because he likes her but also she talks about with Scott. He assures Scott that Taylor really likes him. Scott is pleased to hear Taylor cares about him so much. Taylor thanks Max and says she's not he's not such a bad guy after all. Max tells her to keep that to herself because he has a reputation to uphold. Klasso is disappointed in Max for saving his dad, Phoebe and and Taylor, so he poops in Max's bag. Seriously, Klasso. Okay, and now it's one-time character in the Thundermans. He appears in the first Halloween special. <sighs> Haunted Thundermans. He's a ghost that was once imprisoned by Hank Thunderman, but escaped after Miles and Lily accidentally freed him. He took control of Phoebe and almost killed Hank, but was fooled by Max. He battled the Thundermans and Halfaways and was defeated when Phoebe and Max combined their ice breath and Hank threw him into the ghost cage. Green Ghoul once attempted to take over the world. He almost succeeded but was stopped by Hank. When in ghost jail, he was freed when Louie made a crack in the wall. In order to get revenge on Hank, Green Ghoul possessed Chad to get close to Phoebe. Eventually, Max realized that he was the Green Ghoul with the ghost tracking device, but Phoebe didn't believe him. After the possessive, possessed Phoebe, Max tried to fight him off, but he fled and went straight to the Hathaway's house to deal with Hank, noticing that the adults were accidentally imprisoned. The Green Ghoul only frees Hank in order to deal with him personally. As Max and Taylor enter the room, Max was offered the chance by the Green Ghoul to become a real supervillain by joining him. As it first appeared that Max was willing to accept the offer, he attempts to ice-breath him a few times. After being kicked out of Phoebe's body, Miles, Max, and Phoebe both combined their ice-breath on him, successfully freezing and imprisoning the Green Ghoul. Hank then uses his super strength to throw the Green Ghoul into the ghost cage, and he was then sent back to jail. Let's see if we have an ad break for today. Our sponsor, ad break, ad break, ad break, ad break, sponsor, 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 sponsor. And before we go to ad breaks or sponsors, let's get a little bit of a Welcome back. I am your host, the Susan Anime O'Hagan. Or anime. Either one. And today we're still going to talk about a little bit about Halloween and the holidays. Because I promised you all. And because I promised you all, I'm not breaking that. I promised more stuff about the holidays, but I'm trying to debate if we want to talk about S-A-M-H-I-N Samahine first. Samhain is a pagan religious festival originated from an ancient Celtic supernatural tradition in modern times. I took off my glasses because they were dirty and now I can't see. Okay. In modern times, 
Samanha, a Celtic word pronounced Shiawin, is usually celebrated, so it's Shiawin. I would not have guessed that. 31st to November 1st to welcome in the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. Celebrations believe that the barrier between the physical world and the spirit world break down during Shanawin, allowing more interaction between humans and decease of the other world. Dennis? I'm not sure. Ancient Shanaman. I just call it Shamanahan. I don't know how to say this. Ancient Celtics mark S-A-M-H-I-N as the most significant of the four quarterly fire festival taking place at the midpoint between the fall eclipse and the winter solstice. During this time of year, harder fires in family homes were left to burn out while the harvest was gathered. After the harvest work was completed, celebrant joined with Doran to light a community fire using a wheel that would cause friction and spark flames. The wheel was considered a representation of the sun and used along with prayer. Cattle were significant and participants took a flame from the communal bonfire back to their home to relight the hearth. Early text presents Shamahin, Shamahin, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, as a modern celebration lasting three days and three nights where the community was required to show themselves to local kings or chief trains. Failure to participate was believed to result in punishment from the gods, usually illness or death. There was also a military aspect to Shamanhain in Ireland. The holiday throne prepared for a common dare of soldiers. Anyone who committed a crime or used their weapons during the celebration faced a death sentence. Some documents mention six days of drinking alcohol to excess, typically med or beer, along with Gluninous fast Shamahai monster? Because the Celtic believed that the barrier between the worlds was breachable during Shamahai. Sh- Samahai. I'm not sure how to say this. They prepare offerings that were left outside villages and feel, failed for failure of shot. It was expected that ancestors might cross over during this time as well, and Celtics would dress as animals and monsters so that fairies would not attempt to kidnap them. Some specific monsters were associated with mythological surrounding, including a shape-shifting creature called a P-U-K-A-H that received Harvest offerings from the field. The Lady Gwyneth is a headless woman dressed in white who causes night wanderers and was accompanied by a black pig. The Dalahan sometimes appears as impious creatures, sometimes headless men on horses who carry their heads, riding flamed-eyed horses. Their appearance was a deaf woman to anyone who encountered them. A group of hunters known as Fame host might also hunt Shamahai and kidnap people. Similar are the Slogo, who would come from the west to enter houses and steal souls. This is a very weird story. I'm not sure how comfortable I am with it. Okay. One of the most famous Shamanhai-related stories is The Adventure of Nira in which the hero, Nira, encounters a corpse and fairies and enters into the other world. 
somehow figured into the adventure of the mythological Celtic hero Finanen, Mac Chamahal, when he faced the fire-breathing underworld Drella Hyaline, who would burn down to the Hall of Tia. Shamahai also figure, figures into another Fennin legend where the hero is sent to the land beneath the wave. Yeah, okay. I can't. Oh, the Christian Shamahai. As Christian gained a foothold in pagan communities, church leaders attempt to reframe Shamahai as a Christian celebration. The first attempt was by Pope Boniface, Boniface in the 5th century. He moved the celebration to May 13th and specified it as a day celebrating saints and Mars. The fire festival of October and November, however, did not end with this decree. In the 9th century, Pope moved the celebration back to the time of the fire festival, but declared it All Saints Day on November 1st, All Souls Day, would follow on November 2nd. I just saw something on that with the Halloween thing. Halloween is a holiday. Celebrate each year on October 31st and Halloween 22 will occur on Monday. Yeah, that was not fun. But where was it? I saw the All Saints Day. Where was it? All Saints Day. On May 13th, AD 609, Pope, I'm not sure how to say his name without messing this up, Boniface IV decided the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian and the Catholic Feast of All Mares Day was established in the Western Church. Pope George III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as the M-A-R-T-Y-S and moved the observation from May 13th to November 1st. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where in guardly blended with and supplanted older Celtic rites. In AD 1000, the church made November 2nd All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic Festival of the Dead with a related church holiday. I also believe, if I'm not mistaken, yesterday and today, was Day of the Dead, which I've talked about on and off. The Day of the Dead, Dia Dea Los Mortos, is a holiday traditionally celebrated on November 1st and 2nd. Though other days, such as October 31st or November 6th, may include depending on the logicality, it is widely observed in Mexico, where it is largely developed, and is also observed in other places, especially by people of Mexican heritage. Although related to the similar Christian remembrance of hollow wide, I'm not sure. It was much less solemn tone and is portrayed as a holiday of joyful celebration rather than mourning. The multi-day holiday involves family and friends gathering to pay respects and to remember friends and family members who have died. These celebrations can be a humorous tone as celebration, remembering funny events and a-N-C, nope, A-N-E-C-D-O-T-E-S about the departed. Traditions connected with the holiday include honoring the deceased, using clovers and marigold flowers known as, okay, I can't even spell this or say this. C-E-M-P-A-Z-U-H-I-T. 
TL building home altars called offenders with the favorite foods and beverage of the departed and visiting graves with these items as a gift from the deceased. The celebration is not solely focused on the dead, as it is also known to give gifts to friends such as candy sugar skulls to share tradition pandemotos with family and friends. If I said that wrong, I'm so sorry. I'm trying. My, I could barely speak some English words, and that's my main language. My Spanish is so part. Not so great. It's I can do basic, but not like follow along conversation. So I'm trying. And to write lighthearted and often revenant verse in the form of mock decorated to living friends and acquaintances a literature from known as Carvos Litas in 2008 their tradition was inscribed in the representation list of intelligible cultural heritage of humanity Oh, I am trying, but this is not going well. I'm so sorry. I'm trying. Let's see if we have an ad break for today. Our sponsor. Ad break, ad break, ad break, ad break. Sponsor, 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 sponsor. And before we go to ad breaks or sponsors, let's get a little bit of a... from the school for good were ex okay where did I leave all avoid okay they go okay Agatha and Sophie have nope uh arriving at the doors of the school for good okay here we go mother again T says she wouldn't want to see this his because his dad King Arthur sent out a warrant for her head she had cheated on King Arthur with Sir Lancelot, and when he turned 16, he'd have to honor that warrant. Later on in the forest, at the trial by tail, Flip and T find an injured Yard who was then killed by Ark. Yard turns into T's other best friend, leading him to realize that he disguised himself as a girl. Agatha is hiding when Flip com comes with T. Soon Agatha sees that T leans in to kiss Flip. Soon Agatha sees that T leans in to kiss Flip, but Agatha only sees their lips almost touch. This causes a dispute between the three, and Flip turns back into Sophie as the spell wears off. T is confused and angry, but then the dean of the school for girls, Everlyn Sater, half-sister of... August Sater has her butterfly fly off trees as they carry the stone and Evelyn to the tree. The new dean brings out Sophie and Agatha's fairy tale book and lets the story in write. Agatha and T kiss because Agatha told Sophie that she couldn't trust her anymore and Sophie was turning into a witch again. Evelyn reveals Sophie was not turning into a witch, but rather she was conjuring illusions to create distractions between the two 
girls. The historian is about to finish writing the end, but the dean steps in. Evan realizes that it was not Agatha's wish that brought them back to the school, but rather Sophie's wish to see her mother who had been abandoned by her husband when she fell sick and later died. Sophie grieving, having lost her village, her family, and now her best friend, accepts her wish and Evelyn conjures the schoolmaster's ghost in the glorious of Sophie's mother. Sophie kisses the ghost and it becomes the schoolmaster who explains that a true love's kiss can even revive the dead, just as Agatha revives Sophie. The schoolmaster kills Evelyn and sends Agatha home. The schoolmaster tries to kill T, but Agatha manages to grab T and take him with her. Sophie, however, is left behind, refusing to leave the schoolmaster, stating that he was the only one who wouldn't abandon her. The two schools become a malevolent school for evil together. As the two girls are separate, they both remain in the arms of the ones who love them. Their wishes granted. The last ever after. Three weeks following the event of a world without a princess, both schools have fallen under the rule of the returned schoolmaster with the original school for evil becoming the school for old evil and the school for good becoming the school for new evil. Still, the change is all about complete at the schoolmaster named Raphael. Still has to marry Sophie and ultimately start his campaign to destroy good, though hesitant. She is afraid she might end up alone forever, taking into account of Agatha and T's supposed betrayal when ignoring her pleas for help. Sophie accepts the proposal and becomes a teacher for the school for new evil, but the historian still does not accept this as a rightful happy ending. Sophie and Agatha's storybook has been open too long now. This starts a countdown in which the sun grows weaker each passing day, and when the final dust settles, it will mean the end of all the fairy tale worlds. Okay, I hope you all like this. I'm not sure. Okay, I have to really get the book in front of me, read the whole thing, and see if it's what people were thinking of. Because a lot of people are like, yeah, that movie wasn't exactly what I was thinking of. Without having read the book, I thought the movie was decent. But see, that's the thing. Sometimes when you read the book, you have this idea in your head and when it doesn't come to life, even though it is coming to life, it's a little weird. It's like, Charlie is upset about Santa dating his principal and he confesses how hard it is for him that Scott is never around like other fathers and reveals the pressure he is under to central the secret that his father is Santa. Lucy manages to convince Charlie not to be mad at him. Which leads Charlie to convince Carol that Scott is Santa by showing her the magic snow globe he received during Scott's initial transformation. Curtis flies in to tell Santa about toy... about Toy Santa. <laughs> oh boy. Curtis flies in to tell Scott about Toy Santa's plan. However, Scott has used up the last of his magic ruling Carol and cannot return to the North Pole. With help from the two fairies, Scott and Curtis manage to get back only for Toy Santa to find them and tie them up. Charlie and Carol spring them, free by summoning the Tooth Fairy to fly them to the North Pole. Scott goes after Toy Santa, who has already lifted with the sleigh, riding chest, a 
reindeer in training as they both crash back into the village with an army of elves. Carol, Bernard, Charlie, and Curtis laid them into a snowball fight to overthrow the Toy Santa. Toy Santa is defeated and reduced to a six-inch height. Scott marries Carol in a ceremony. Scott transforms back into Santa, and Carol transforms into Mrs. Claus. And Christmas proceeds as it always has. Scott and Carol reveal the truth to Lucy about Scott being Santa Claus, promising to keep his secret. Tim Allen as Scott Calvin, Santa Claus, Toy Santa, Elizabeth as Principal Carol Newman, Wendy Cruson as Lauren Miller, Judge by Dr. Neil Miller, Liliana Mum as Lucy Miller, David as Bernard the Head Elf, Eric as Charlie Calvin, Spencer as Curtis the Elf, Danielle Woodman as Abby the Elf, Aisha Taylor as Father of Mother Nature, Peter something, Father Time, Jay Thomas as Easter Bunny, Kevin as Cupid, Tooth Fairy, Sandman, um, Bob as Comet, and Kathy as Chestnut. So, I love this movie. I like the original the best, but this one's pretty good. The Toy Santa's the only thing I don't like. He is just creepy beyond creepy. And I guess they did a good job making him creepy because, dang, I was like, are you kidding me? This thing is freaky looking. And is it, like, it, it's just disturbing, that little toy, that, that Santa animatronic. And it's crazy that they have this stupid loophole in a couple of movies where you have to marry or else you don't get to do what you were supposed to do. Like in The Princess Diaries 2. The loophole was she had to marry a man to become a princess. This one, he has to marry a woman to become Santa again. Are you kidding me? Really? This is what we have to do. Force people into marriage. Because of what reason exactly is beyond me. The Mrs. Claus thing, like, yeah, him and Carol are a great couple. They seem sweet together. But, dang, did you really have to go there? Like, did you have to go there? Because me, mm -mm, I was like, no, that's just wrong. For both a man and a woman to be forced into marriage, or else they can't be Santa or a princess? No. Scott Calvin, our Santa Claus in this movie, is a much better person than in the um, first one. He's definitely grown up. You could see the character change from kind of a meh, okay dad to more an okay person to like a really great person. And he tries to be the best he can be for his son and his son's stepsister. And, you know, it took him a while to admit to Lucy that they, he Santa because he didn't want her to tell everyone, but she does keep the secret, which is kind of cool. Charlie being naughty is definitely, it was kind of annoying. It's like, dude, we went from a cute, sweet, innocent kid to a teenage jerk. Yeah, okay, just completely changed his character, but teenagers have, they're still figuring stuff out, so I guess, like, that's a normal thing. It's just so weird to me that this is what happens. And I guess, um, I still watch this movie every year. I watch all three, and last night I started watching the TV series, but for the life of me, I can barely remember well, no, I remember it, but I forget where I left off. I think I fell asleep during it, which is kind of annoying, but yet at the same time, like, I'm like, oh, I fell asleep. Go figure, because, you know, I'm tired at night. And I do love that they have Mother Nature, Father Time, Cupid, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, and Sandman kind of just in, like, the group. 
I think from what I remember, Mother Nature is the leader of the group. Either that or Santa Claus is. I'm not 100% sure who is the exact leader, but I know like the two fairy was like, they were interesting. Like that seems very interesting. And yeah, um, him using up all his magic again. Like, keep doing that. Like, he has trouble with his magic in a lot of these movies and shows. But yes, I will review the TV show for all of you and talk about that as well. As along with every other thing. And yes, this has been more parts than I normally do because I was busy babysitting doggies on and off the whole day. It's literally like almost two it's like 1 p.m where i live and soon we have to go pick up my child from school <sighs> but this movie is good i like it other than the crazy creepy animatronic santa it's a decent movie and the fact that he gets I don't know, like, tricked into marriage, forced into it. Like, that's the only other thing that bugs me. It's like, he literally has to find someone to marry to become Santa again. It's like, are you kidding me? Why is this a plot point? Charlie, I think his character makes sense. I mean, he's a teenager. Teenagers act up sometimes. And I do like, um... The way it looks, because it definitely got more like Christmassy, and I think there's a lot more at like Santa's workshop, because of course in the original he was still getting used to being Santa, and then this one there's more of the workshop, and in the third one there's a lot more. But I guess like I wonder how old he would be, like. I know in the TV show they said he was 65, that most people retire. I'm not really sure how it works for Santa. Like, I didn't know if Santa aged or not, to be honest, because I've seen like other shows and movies where he doesn't really age. So I don't know. But I do have to say like the two fairy coming to the rescue was cool. The new character, the girl, uh, Sandra's girlfriend, eventually wife, Carol, is pretty cool. She's not a, she's a tough cookie. Like, you don't want to mess with her. And if I were you, like, I would behave around her. Like, she's mm, tough, but not, like, evil. She has, like, a, I'm a principal, so I have to be tough type of attitude. But yet she's sweet. So it's kind of like a, I could be tough when I need to be type of situation. So yeah, if you still like this, go watch it. I mean, it's a classic. Yes, I'm calling it a classic. And yes, do I have issues with the fact that in the TV show they were talking about this little girl, yeah, I'm just gonna, yeah, we'll talk about that at a different time. I'm just rambling now. I hope y'all have a great and wonderful week and we'll talk more about Christmas movies. I have plenty of them. And also, do you want me to do a comparison on all the Grinch movies? Because there are quite a few. And I'm not joking. Like, I'm literally looking into space thinking about how many there are. And I'm like, ooh, should I do a comparison? I do want to talk about all of them. The Grinch is one of my favorite, all-time favorite Christmas movies. I mean, I just love it. And always have. Okay. Bye. And now we're all winded down. I hope you all enjoyed my podcast about movies, TV shows, books, and games. And I hope you all have a great and wonderful week and weekend. If you want to hear more of me, I do have other podcasts as well on ACAST, so you can check those out. And I also have a kids podcast as well. Gummy Bears Podcast Land, 
that if you want to hear more of me during the weekend, you can. But I hope you all have a great, wonderful week, and I hope you all enjoy this. And I just tell you my opinion, facts about the show. Hopefully, we could agree to disagree, or you could give me your opinion. I could take it into consideration. You could take mine into consideration. And I really do enjoy doing this. You guys are my fans, and I love you. And you guys are so wonderful social butterflies. And you're so genuinely a great and wonderful butterfly gem. I hope you all have a great and wonderful sloppy day. And don't forget to check out my other stuff. I do have a YouTube channel as well, which is named which is named, I just the Susanna May O'Hagan Sweetie M Uniquely Sloths. And I will give you a little bit of facts. Um Salts only go to the bathroom once a week on the ground. That is it. Just a fun fact, a little bit about sloths that I thought you might enjoy. Okay, over and out. Bye for now. Love my uniquely gem butterflies. Fly off and enjoy. Bye for now.